Hi, everybody, and welcome to an edition of Coach's Corner. I have an amazing guest with me today. I'm excited to be featuring another interview. And just a reminder, Coach's Corner episodes are either an interview like today, me answering listener questions, or me just riffing on a topic. So if you have a topic you'd like me to talk about, a question you'd like me to answer on the show, or you want to be coached live on the show, email assist at christinehassler.com and the amazing Sarah will get you on our wait list and take your suggestions about topics you'd like me to talk about and pass them on to me. Okay. So when I was in Estonia last month, speaking at an event called Mind Valley University, I had the pleasure of meeting Marissa Peer as mutual friends thought we'd really hit it off, which we did. We both have a passion for helping people make lasting changes that don't require years and years of therapy. That said, Marissa is a therapist. In fact, one of the best in the world. She has spent over three decades treating a client list that includes international superstars, CEOs, royalty, and Olympic athletes. Marissa teaches simple steps that produce dramatic and life-changing results. When she reveals her fundamental rule, that all our emotional and personal problems come from us believing that we're not enough and explains how to overcome it, the results are tremendous and dramatic. And we talk more about that in this episode. In addition to being a leading celebrity and pioneering hypnotherapist trainer, she's also a motivational speaker and best-selling author. Her latest book titled, I Am Enough, which we talk about on this show. Before we dive in, I want to tell you about a special offer from Hewlett Packer for my listeners. So all of you out there who need a high performance laptop, but may not be a business yourself or have big company budgets, people like graphic designers, video editors, Photoshop illustrator users, entrepreneurs that work from home, you're really going to want to listen to this. When it comes to technology, the difference between consumer grade and business class PCs is really important. Here's the difference that a business class device can make for you. First of all, performance. Many modern consumer-grade processors and mobile operating systems prioritize battery life over processing power. Business class PCs offer better performance and longer battery life, allowing users to work faster and longer while on the road or in your favorite coffee shop. And support. Every HP Elite PC comes with HP Elite Premium Support providing round-the-clock service from U.S.-based specialists. And then software and security. Business class devices help their users take advantage of their advanced features with free bundled software that's not available or requires an additional purchase on consumer-grade PCs. And all HP Elite family products come with security software to protect your data. And design to create images that have the impact you want as any kind of designer or business owner. You need a laptop with high computing power that can handle multiple functions. And finally, reliability. HP Elite PCs are designed to pass all kinds of testing to make sure that they really stand the test of time. So to get an extra 10% off on select 8th generation Intel-powered HP PCs, go to hp.com slash over it. Again, hp.com slash over it. And now on to my very inspirational and transformational talk with Marissa Peer. Marissa, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. So you've been a therapist for 30 years now. You know what you're doing. 
Uh, yes, I think I know what I'm doing after 30 because <laughs> I knew what I was doing in the beginning because I, I trained in a very revolutionary way of therapy and um, I've always done my own thing and got great results. Mm. When you say revolutionary way of therapy, what do you mean? Well, I've never been keen on uh, having have sessions every week and this. I, I find a lot of therapists, without meaning to put them down at all, because all therapists have good hearts, but the old method of therapy that I was taught was that if the issue is complex, if someone is bulimic or has bipolar, that's complex, and therefore the treatment must also be complex. And I've always believed that doesn't have to be the case, no matter how complex, complicated, or long-standing an issue is. That does not mean that you can't transform that person and change them very quickly indeed. Mm. Um, so revolutionary. So you, see, I wouldn't believe that if you're an alcoholic, you have to say I'm an alcoholic and I always will be because I think that flies in the face of conditioning yourself to believe you're always an alcoholic or always an addict mm. and that it's bigger than you. I think the opposite, you know, addictions happen to us because we don't think we're good enough. And if we fix that, we fix everything. So I've always believed that when somebody comes in with issues, I don't look at the symptoms. I look at what lies beneath the issues and I work on that. And that mm. I find that to be very, very effective. Mm. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm curious with the, the alcoholic example. So in that, would you say that then someone can have a healthy relationship with alcohol? after they deal with the core issues? Or is it something that you have? You well, know? some people do. I know mm -hmm. many people who've come out of AA and now can have a couple of drinks on a Saturday night, but they don't tell AA because they would kick them out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your addiction runs you. It's like people who say uh, sugar, if, if I in front of donuts, I eat the whole lot. And then they go, but then I got fixed and now I can have an odd piece of cake. I mean, I, I had a real addiction to sugar, not as bad as alcohol it doesn't make you kill someone in your car mm -hmm. but nevertheless I could not keep sugar in my house and now I can really take it or leave it I usually leave it but it doesn't run me anymore it used to mm -hmm. well that's that's the key it's like something runs us until a pattern runs us an addiction runs us until we deal with the core issues of of not being good enough or whatever that core issue is and that that's a great segue into the topic of self-esteem because I think that that runs right up with feeling not good enough. And I know that you are exceptional about really helping people, one, understand what self-esteem is and two, how to have it. So I'd love to begin with you defining in your words, what is self-esteem? Well, you know, that's such a great question because most people don't know that self-esteem means what I think of me. You know, if I said to you, Christine, I hold you in the highest esteem, that means what I think of you. Esteem means what you think of but self-esteem means what you think of you. Otherwise, it'd be called other esteem or my esteem or your esteem, but it's what I think of myself. And that's actually quite good news in many ways, because you are able to change what you think of yourself at any time, and you're able to make that change really powerful but we are we do live in a world where we're judged by what we look like, what we weigh, the labels we wear, how our kids behave or not, the grades we've got. And it, it's especially for women, we are assessed constantly on things that are really quite superficial. And so we build ourselves in what other people think of us, what we weigh, how old we are, you know, what we look like. And it shouldn't be like that. Your self-esteem should be about really liking yourself, because when you truly like yourself, 
you become bulletproof against rejection. You can still have mean girls going, oh, you, I hate you, or you look fat, or those clothes look really cheap, or your boyfriend's far too good for you. Obviously, I'm talking about younger women who tend to do that. Women of, of my age and yours have probably grown out of that. Nevertheless, um, when you have self-esteem, you do become bulletproof against other people being mean or snipey or, or, or critical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that we as children come in with healthy self-esteem and oh. then things happen? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, you, I don't know if you, do you have children? No. Okay. So, so when you have a baby mm-hmm. and people come to the hospital to visit your baby, they, they pick, they look at the baby, they count the fingers and toes. Our first experience after being born is being judged. Look at the fingers and toes, look at the eyes and the eyelids. And, and no baby turns away and goes, don't look at me. My diaper's leaking or don't look at me. I've got these milk spots. And of course the little baby will run up to you with a runny nose and a leaking diaper and still think they're the most gorgeous thing in the entire world because they have no concept. You judge them anyway except good. That's why if they want to wake up at 4 a.m., they don't think, oh, my dad does nights or my mom's sleep deprived. They just wake up the whole house. So we are born loaded with self-esteem, with phenomenal self-belief. And that's why if you shut a baby in a cupboard, it would scream for days because it's convinced you're coming to get it Mm. because it's worth looking after. Unfortunately, it's very easy to chip away at that self-esteem and to make the most confident, self-assured baby begin to doubt themselves. And that really is where it all starts to go wrong. Nobody is born lacking self-esteem. We are born loaded with it, but it becomes buried under all these limiting beliefs that we have that we get pretty much from society. Mm-hmm. Society, our parents, our peers, our situations, all those yeah. kinds of things. I'm lumping them all in society. Yeah. Yeah, Nature does sense. make us feel bad about ourselves. Right. You know, little kids run around naked and don't go, look at my fat tummy, or mm-hmm. they, they're just oblivious to that. They don't, they're colorblind. They don't focus on pigmentation or how much body fat you have they're just not aware of that Mm. until much later what age do you think we start to become self-conscious about well three is when before three we don't really have any logic so about between two and three it all starts that self-consciousness yeah 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 that we're aware that other people are judging us and looking at us yeah and then we start to judge ourselves, Mm -hmm. and it's such a shame Mm. You know, no little two-year-old would go, I'm not wearing these trainers, they're not Nike. No two-year-old would go, you know, these designer clothes. They're just oblivious to that. Yeah. They don't go, you know, is our house worth more than our neighbor's house? Yeah. Or am I worthy of love? (laughs) Yeah, am I worthy of love? Yeah. So, you know, on this show, people call in and I coach them and, and they call in with a current day problem. And it 99.9, if not a hundred percent of the time, Marissa, as you know, you usually goes back to something that happened in their childhood. There's like a a core event or a feeling that it's tied to. And often it is self-esteem. It is an issue of not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy, not feeling lovable. I feel like all those things are part of self-esteem. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Completely accurate. Yeah. And people can spend years reading personal growth books and in therapy and can understand 
psychologically why they might not have great self-esteem because they had a super critical parent or a parent that abandoned them or they were teased in school, but yet they can't shake it. (laughs) They still don't feel worthy. They still don't have the esteem. So how, how do we shift this? How do we go from low self-esteem to actually feeling self-esteem? Understanding is good, but it's like saying, I understand why I drink. I understand why I'm depressed. I understand why I've got an, an angry personality but understanding it is not quite enough to change it it's very helpful to understand what's going on but that is not anywhere like enough to stop it exactly where you stop it is to remember some important things one is the most important word you'll ever hear to yourself in your entire life are the words you say to yourself the most important opinion for you is your own opinion And what we tend to do when we have low self-esteem is start to try and make people like us. So we start to try and run after love or work for love or earn love. And if we're at the office, we might be the kind of person who gives other people's lifts, always buys the coffees, always gives stuff away because our behavior is saying, please like me. If we're dating, we'll try far too hard to impress the person or buy them stuff or do stuff. And our behavior is really saying, I don't feel lovable. Therefore, I've got to work for love, earn love, run after love, chase love. And of course, many people who don't get love as children do have this belief that you've got to earn love. If your parents say, you know, why didn't you get straight A's and your brother's smart, what's wrong with you? Or how, why could you embarrass me like this? We then start to form these beliefs. Oh, I've got to earn love. If we only get attention from our parents when we're getting good grades or cleaning the house, we then form this belief very early. Love must be earned. Now put all our energy into trying to make other people love us. Not only does it work, it actually backfires because when someone knows that you are working really hard to earn their love, they always have the upper hand. And in fact, you should take all that energy you're putting into trying to impress someone else and impress yourself and say things like, I'm lovable, I matter, I'm enough, I'm significant. And one of the reasons you should repeat particular phrases, my favorite are absolutely, I matter, I'm enough, I'm lovable, I'm significant. When you repeat those a lot, because your mind is set up to believe whatever you tell it, and you start to tell it good things, it lets them in. Mm-hmm. Of course, when you tell it bad things, I don't matter, no one loves me, I always get dumped or ghosted, the mind will let that in too. And so if you want to find love, fall in love with yourself. Mm-hmm. You might think, well, I have no idea how to even begin that. Well, what, what you do is you look in the mirror every day and go, oh, there you are. Hey, how are you? You're a great person. You say things that are are praising to yourself. There you are. You're great. And just say the things you'd say to your best. And if you had a little child that someone gave you a kid and said, this is an insecure kid, and your job is to grow that kid's self-esteem, you know what you would say. Mm -hmm. You're wonderful. You're funny. You're interesting. You're smart. You're great company. So imagine you've been given a little lost child that's depending on you to grow its self-esteem because you are that lost child. And say, look in the mirror and say nice things. You don't have to go, I'm a goddess or I'm a perfect 10 because we very rarely are. Just I matter. I'm Mm -hmm. significant. So first of all, say that. And then 
change all the passwords on your computer so that somewhere they have I'm significant squiggle dot or I matter and I'm lovable with some numbers and then make sure your phone alerts go off twice a day saying I'm enough, I'm lovable. And so when you start typing this out every day, reading every day, write it on your mirrors, put it on your fridge in magnets, have a little bit of jewelry that might say I'm enough, I'm lovable, I matter. And what will happen is it will just sink in. It will sink in the way lotion sinks <laughs> into dry skin and nourishes it. These positive words will sink in to someone who's emotionally malnourished and nourish you because your mind really doesn't care what you tell it is good or bad or right or wrong. It lets it in. And so when you tell it amazing things, it will absolutely let them in. Mm. Mm. Oh, immediately or does that take a little time? Well, we all change in three different ways. Some people change instantly, which is everyone's favorite way to change. <laughs> Other people have cumulative change in that it you kind of suddenly realize that you're feeling a little bit better all the time. And then some people have retroactive change. They look back and think, wow, I wake up feeling happy. I don't remember the last time I had an anxiety attack. So there is a lag time. And often when you think you're not changing enough, the changes are going on within. But change can happen immediately, but you also have to let that change layer. The mm -hmm. mind learns repetition. And by repeating some key phases, I, know, I don't use affirmations. I like to call them statements of truth. Mm. By using some key positive statements, you'll feel incredibly different. Mm. For instance, if you're an angry person, you'll find the anger goes away. If you're a defensive person, if you're self-critical, you'll find all of that just goes away. Not only that, it doesn't come back. Mm. So I'd like to speak about trauma for a moment. A lot of people listening, either are coaches or therapists and or have also been through trauma in their life, uh, abuse, neglect, abandonment, those kinds of things, death of someone. What's your advice for, if, if that's in your past, even if it happened, let's say it happened in your childhood and you're an adult and you, you're doing your best to get over it, but you still seem to be haunted by that tr past trauma. How do you work with that? Well, I'm going to say two things. The first, you may find a little hard, but human beings are incredibly resilient. I've worked with people who are in concentration camps and you know, human beings are, 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 can cope with something horrific because we are actually not fragile. We're quite resilient. It, and an event will not affect you as much as the meaning you attach to it. Let's take something really traumatic like being raped. I mean, being raped is just beyond horrible. We could never say it was anything other than that. But some people who've been raped say, you know, it was just awful. But I was absolutely determined it would not change my life. I knew I was being attacked with a man's body, which was easier than being attacked with a gun. And I made a decision that I would not allow this person to ruin my life. I've worked with other people who say, well, that was it. You know, it was the end for me. I could never have sex again. I could never have a relationship. I didn't want children because a boy might become a rapist and girls might get raped. And it's not to minimize how awful rape is, but the scenes do not affect you anything like as much as the meaning you attach to a scene and the interpretation you put on the scene. It's like saying I came home and my home had been um, vandalized. And after that, I couldn't leave the house in case it happened again. 
So you have to believe in your resilience and realize that we can have extraordinary coping skills. So many of us have been through terrible trauma. We've been attacked, mugged, robbed, um, diminished. We've had parents who've hurt us, but it's always been that way. You know, if you lived 100 years ago, half your children would have died in the most horrendous circumstances. 500 years ago, you know, people were living in absolute squalor with no hygiene and we have this belief that, you know, the modern world is dangerous and scary, but it really isn't. I mean, there are dangerous situations, but you almost have to choose to react differently, to look at any scene and say, yeah, that scene is traumatic, but it's the meaning I'm making of it, the interpretation I'm putting on it that's really traumatic. And if I want to, I can change the meaning. Mm. It's like people who say, you know, the love of my life dumped me and I never, ever got over it. Or to say, well, I had 12 years of a beautiful relationship and it ended and I was terribly sad, but I realized that I could, I could find love again. You know, most people who've got a great marriage and when one partner dies will always go on to marry again because they've got a template for having a great relationship. And they very rarely say things like, oh, I could never get married again. I lost my first husband or wife and it was just too traumatic. They focus on all the good things from that relationship and then go out and have another one. Mm. It's a bit like saying, well, my dog got run over so I couldn't have another one because of the pain of losing it. But but what about the pleasure that dog gave you for 10 years? Mm. Mm. I love that. Anything else you want to say on trauma? Well, just that, you know, we are just, there's a great book called Man's Search for Meaning. Mm, by I the love book. that book, yeah. People. And he always talks about how even in concentration camps, it was, your, it was your will, your decision that you could survive something if you made up your mind to survive it. If you made up your mind that, that nobody could take away your thinking. One of my clients was born into a cult. It was the most horrendous cult so controlling and she said the only thing they couldn't control were her thoughts and she used to love sleeping because they couldn't control her thinking and she was the only girl who managed to get out of that cult in fact in the end I think they actually asked her to leave because she just wouldn't bow down to their beliefs even though she was born into that cult and her parents were heavily involved in it and I always thought that was a great story that they she would not let them control her thinking I love that. That is our ultimate freedom. I think there's a, a quote, I'm paraphrasing, I'm sure you know it from that book, that in between stimulus and response, there is a like a choice point. And in that choice point is our freedom. Like we have the freedom to respond to anything the way we choose to. And I, that response also includes what we choose to make it mean. And I, I agree. I can see two people going through the exact same thing and their degree of suffering and struggling is directly correlated to what they're making it mean. So two people, for example, diagnosed with cancer, the, the, what they make it mean impacts the way they move forward, but both by how they feel and also how they choose to behave. And I, that was leading me into my next question, which is I often see people that are going through hard times go into victim. The world's happening to me. Um, and, and oftentimes going into victim is the only way they get attention and love somehow. So there's a, there's a payoff for it. So if, if someone is in that victim place of the world's happening to me, why do things never work out for me? How do you shift out of that? Actually, 
the most important thing is to have a massive language shift and to not use the language of a victim because the way we talk to ourselves affects us. For instance, the way you feel about anything at all will always be the result of just two things, the pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself. And it's very easy to go into a victim. This always happens to me. This is terrible. I just have such bad luck. I knew that wouldn't work out. And often it's important to go look back and think, you know, your problem is someone else's fantasy dream come true. You're in the store waiting to pay for goods and there's a huge queue. You're on the 405 freeway in L.A. and it's backed up and you're sitting in traffic. Your kid has kept you up all night and you say things like this is hell. This is killing me. This is driving me up the wall. I'm going crazy with the stress when in truth. Someone else would swap places with you immediately. Just having a car mm -hmm. and enough money to put gas in it is someone's fantasy. Having a baby that keeps you up all night, that's someone's fantasy. Having a difficult boss is a fantasy if you don't have a job. And then you might think, what would you have given 10 years ago to have that problem of children who keep you up and a husband who leaves dishes in the mm -hmm. sink and never helps with the housework. You know, we have to really put everything into perspective and realize that it's just stuff. Yep. And you have to pick your battles and stop using words like this is hell. This is a nightmare. This is a disaster. Because what are you talking? You're talking about the line at the airport. You're going on vacation and you're calling the line hell. You're mm -hmm. in the store with money to buy food and you're calling the line hell on earth. You know, you're in a commute to a job that someone else would love and you're calling it a nightmare. And when you use these very powerful words, you're telling your mind that this is killing you or, or causing you much stress. And what you have to say is, well, it's a challenge. It's an issue. It's just traffic. I have extraordinary coping skills because the way you feel is down to the words you say to yourself. And if you use better words, you get a better response. And if you use terrible words, you will always get a terrible response mm. because of a mind's ability to let in whatever you say and to believe it is absolutely 100% true when often it isn't. Mm -hmm. And how, what, let's talk about emotions for a moment. Um, because I know I've gotten great, um, shifts from going back and feeling feelings attached to old events that I didn't get to feel at the time, but not for the place of indulging in them, but actually just giving them expression and release. And also at the same time, holding a place of, of compassion for myself, telling myself inside the things maybe I didn't hear when I was going through it at the time. Like, it's okay to feel, let it out. Like, it's okay. I'm here. Like being with myself as I go through those. So I hear you talking a lot about our thoughts and I just wanted to ask you about what about our feelings? Well, here's the law. The thought always comes first. You know, before you really, unless it's a feeling of absolute terror, before you feel a feeling, you have to think a thought. Let's imagine one. You've, you're on Tinder and you see a guy you like. That's a thought. I'm going to swipe. But then you can have a feeling he's not going to swipe back. He's too good for me. The last guy ghosted me. Or maybe you're somewhere and you want to go up to someone and ask them if you could work at their company or ask them for a date or ask them for a recommendation the thought, the thought you think, which is they're going to reject me or say, no, you may be wanting to go to your boss and ask me for a pay rise or taking in a proposal. 
So our thoughts control our feelings, our feelings control our actions, and our actions absolutely control our events. Everything starts with a thought. And when you have that feeling of, oh, I'm I'm feeling nervous and I'm feeling anxious because I think I'm going to get rejected, the feeling comes from the thought. And what we do wrong is we keep trying to change the feeling, get in state, jump up and down, make your power move sing a song to yourself, that's all good and it does work. But if you could change the thought that brought about the feeling, then that would be absolutely permanent. Mm. Okay, so this is where I would love to dive into this with you because I I totally agree to an extent. And where I – here's my question. So I feel if you're four years old and your father hits you, there's definitely a feeling of, of fear or, or a lot of other things. Is is there in that kind of situation really a thought that comes before the feeling or is that just an actual emotional response to a pretty traumatic event? When your father hits you, there's no doubt you'll feel tremendous pain from being hit. Absolutely, you'll feel the pain. But then you have to decide what does it mean when someone hits you? Like, for instance, if you were out in the street and someone came up and screamed at you, if that person was mentally ill, you'd think, oh, dear, poor person, they're mentally ill. But if it was your friend or an ex-partner, you'd have a different thought. So there's nothing good about being hit, although some people, strangely enough, would, would not agree. I've had women who were always hit by their fathers, and then after they were hit, the father was often an alcoholic, would pick them up and go, I'm so sorry, daddy's princess. You know, daddy loves you, loves you, loves you. I'm so sorry. And in their mind, they form a belief. If you love me, you hit me. Mm -hmm. The only way I get attention is to be hit. And then they date men. And the first they have this belief that if you love me or hit me, and I've had some women who've said, you know, my husband or my boyfriend gets so angry because he's so jealous. And then he physically hits me, then he feels so bad, then we have wonderful sex and we make up. And I'm not suggesting every woman that's hit is inviting that upon themselves. But it's very interesting, this belief that some people have that being hit is because someone loves you so much. Mm-hmm. And of course, many parents will say, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this to teach you a lesson. It hurts me more than it hurts you, which is complete nonsense. But mm-hmm very easy to make the child believe that. And Mm. so often they won't tell people they're being hit because they think it's my fault. You know, Mm. most bullied children will not tell anyone they're being bullied because the belief is it's my fault. So a bully hits a child, that's an action. Mm -hmm. And the child should report that. But the feeling that, well, no one likes me, I'm a weak person, I'm making this happen. If I tell anyone, I'll be even more of a sad loser makes them not do anything about it. Mm. So do you, in in your experience and training, do you feel that we can heal ourselves just through our thoughts or does it also require feeling our feelings about things and going back and doing the emotional work as well? Well, your feelings are the most real thing you have. There is nothing more real than your feelings and you must feel a feeling until it no longer requires to be felt. Here's a good example. When you feel hurt and we all feel hurt, if you can wander around your house going, I'm so hurt because my friend forgot my birthday. I'm so hurt because my mum bought my sister's kids gifts and not mine. I'm so hurt because my boss passed off that work as his own when it was mine. 
if you can express that hurt, it actually goes away because the hurt feelings are trying to get you to realize what you're feeling. And it's something I call triple A. Be aware of your feelings, accept them and articulate them. But most of us think, what am I feeling? I don't know, because I'm going to eat some ice cream now or have a drink or get lost in Netflix, anything to not feel. So we don't even get to first base. We are unaware of our feeling and you must be aware of your feeling. You must accept, even if it's illogical. I feel insanely jealous of my sister's husband because he's more successful than mine. It's okay to, to feel that. And then you must articulate it just to yourself. I feel X because the minute you verbalize your feeling, it goes away. So in particular, hurt, you must express that feeling. So our feelings are real, mm -hmm. but the way we define the feeling affects us more than the feeling. We can all feel hurt or irritable or anxious or stressed. But then if we, now we have a choice, we can go, I've had a very stressful day, but I'm going to have a night's sleep and tomorrow's a new day. We can go, my job's killing me. This stress of work is driving me mad. I can't take it. I'm dying under these difficult clients and I hate my boss. And it, so we have what I call looping thoughts. So we think of that, I'll give you an example. Here's a thought. I'm not good enough. That's a thought. It's just a thought. I, I'm not good enough and people don't like me. But if I think that thought, I have a feeling and the feeling can be several things. I might feel very sad. I might feel actually really bitter and angry and resentful because people don't like me. I might feel hopeless and helpless because I don't know what to do about this feeling I have because my thought is people don't like me. So I've got a thought, I've got a feeling and I've got an action. And if I feel people don't like me, the action is often no action. I'm not going to go to people at work and go, do you want to come to a movie with me? Or I'm having a barbecue this weekend. I'm not going to take a risk and ask people to socialize them because I only know people don't like me. So I spend all my weekends on my own. And then I justify the feeling I've gone into a loop while well, I'm on my own because nobody likes me. Mm. And if you were to just change that thought, do nothing more than go, people do like me. I like me and I'm enough, just change a thought and repeat it a lot. The feeling you'll start to feel is, well, I feel good because people like me. And I like me, I feel quite calm, feel quite confident. People like me. Why wouldn't they like mm -hmm. me? I like them. Now I've got a better feeling so I can take action. I can go up to a guy at work and go, do you want to have a coffee with me? I can say to colleagues, would you like to come over and watch this movie? Um, I can do things because I'm not scared of being rejected because I don't think that thought I'm not enough and I'm doing things and it's justifying the feeling, oh, this is happening because I feel good about myself. Mm. So when you think the negative thought, the problem is it, it starts to loop into negative feelings and behaviors and actions and reactions. Mm. And even worse than that is that, you know, you and I could have a choice. I said, well, I'm going to be negative, Christine, and you can be positive. And that's my choice. I'm choosing to be negative. That's my prerogative. But you know what you can't choose when you're negative? Mm. What it does to you, what it does to your brain, actually, just complaining on a regular basis, moaning, being bitter, being negative affects your immune system, mm -hmm. your nervous system. So although you can choose whether to be negative or positive, you cannot choose the damage that does to your body. And so you might as well be positive because you think your thoughts and then they you, 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 you kind of 
you form a belief and then a belief forms you, but then you go out into the world and you keep justifying that belief. So you might as well make them positive. Yeah. Yeah. We keep collecting evidence for what yeah, we believe. Always so. collecting evidence for what we believe. Yeah, yeah. It's great when you have good beliefs and really not at all when you have negative ones. Yes. Yes. That's been such an important part for me. And, and also in the feelings part, my beliefs about my feelings, you know, and having a feeling if I am in pain about something, it's letting myself cry and say, this is okay. You're letting it out. This pain isn't going to last forever. This is a healthy release. And then it moves through quickly. Whereas the past, it was like, I hate feeling so much pain. This feeling is so awful. And I'd avoid feeling it because of the beliefs I had about the feeling. So super helpful. Um, there's a couple things I want you to talk to our listeners about. One, you have a new book coming out that is that I love the title because it's a statement of truth. I am enough. Can you tell us about that? Well, in my experience of 30 years, having been lucky enough to work with movie stars and rock stars and royalty and CEOs, I realized very quickly that we all have the same problem, whether you're Amy Winehouse or Whitney Houston or Heath Ledger or someone who's running your own bakery. We all have the same problem. The problem is I just don't feel enough. So addicts never feel enough, which is why they push their feelings down with substances. Compulsive shoppers never feel enough. They buy and hoard to try and fill up that emotional emptiness within. Binge eaters and comfort eaters feel empty inside. And so I realized very early on in my career that the common denominator of all our issues is believing we're not enough. And I realized that it was so easy to change that. And many teachers would write to me and say, wow, you know, I've taken your message on board. I have my whole class start every day by saying I'm enough. We write it on the blackboard. They write it in their books. We have little armbands that I had given out or we're printing our own T-shirts or making little tattoos to go on their yearbook. And just saying I'm enough is changing everything. And I got an email today from someone who said I gave myself a 30-day challenge to say that and write it every day. Mm. And she said, and I never actually realized, but my husband said, do you know you're not angry anymore? Mm. <clears throat> do you notice that you don't get that nervous stomach or nervous headaches? All because of using that I am enough. Mm. I love that. I love that. Well, I know that that's a big limiting belief for a lot of people listening. So definitely get Marissa's new book, I Am Enough. And I also think a lot of people would be interested in your training, your RTT Live, Rapid Transformational Therapy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm so proud of Rapid Transformational Therapy. I mean, I consider myself so lucky in that I've had such interesting clients, you know, I'm not saying I've seen royalty to show off, but to show you the different people I've seen and realizing that I could take what worked for someone at the top of their game and offer that to someone at the bottom of their game and get the same results. So I'm Enough is really based on 33 years of experience of what really works. It's what works in real time with real clients and what gives them the most stunning turnaround. And it was such a sense of joy and delight and privilege to me that I could take that and put it in book form and say to people, look, if you want to like yourself and feel good about yourself, just do these few things. And one of the things I love the most is that without meaning to sound critical, some self-help books are a lot of work. You know, if you've got a house, 
and a kid and a job. That's enough work for everyone. You don't need any more work. Writing 100 goals every night, having to read five new books a week, it's just another thing to do. We've all got quite enough to do. So I always wanted my techniques to take five minutes or three minutes or two minutes, but I also was determined that the level of benefit you would get must be out of all proportion to what you had to do. And people say to me, you know, this has changed my life. And actually, it's easy. It's not work. So when I wrote my book, I was determined and motivated to give people a self-help book with no work required, no slog required, just simple, tiny adjustments that have a massive change. And people write to me all the time and go, wow, where have you been? This is amazing. Parents write to me and say, you know, this has changed all of my children. Doctors write to me and say, I'm using this in my practice. And, you know, it, it's just so lovely to see that it's a movement now of making people know they're enough because after all, it is true. You know, if you say, well, I'm going to tell myself I'm a goddess, only it's not going in, it's because you know you're not a goddess. Your mind says, come on. You keep saying you're a goddess, but you live in a shared apartment. You you buy your clothes from Target. Where's the goddess? But it's really you that's doing the arguing. Mm -hmm. But when you say I'm enough, your mind will never come back and deny it because it's so true. It's always been true. It will always be true. And its strength and power really lies in its simplicity. Mm. Oh, I love this. Thank you so much, Marissa, for reminding us all that we're enough and giving us such incredible insight and guidance. And I'm really excited about this book. I'm already thinking of a couple people I'm going to send it to. Where can people learn more about you, connect with you, find out about your trainings, get your books, all of that? Well, you can go to marissapeer.com. That's M-A-R-I-S-A-P-E-E-R, marissapeer.com. And we have all kinds of free stuff we give away. I think we've currently got a free course on finding love, attracting wealth, and having self-esteem. We yeah. give them all away. Emotional you eating, can, health and yeah. weight, lots, yeah. lots of good and, stuff. <laughs> yeah. they're not, there's no catch involved. We don't ask for a credit card. I just, I just was so privileged that I know I was put on this earth to help people. And I help people as much as I can. And I have some things that I charge for and others that I don't. You can also go to rapidtransformationaltherapy.com to find out what is our TT. If you'd like to train in it, it's the most amazing therapy. You won't just change other people's lives. You'll certainly change your own. But if you want to find an RTT therapist who will change your life too, there's a list of them there. So whether you're interested in I'm Enough or in RTT, then you can go to marissapeer.com or rapidtransformationaltherapy.com and find out everything you need to know. Great. And I hope to be at your November event in Los Angeles, which I'm really looking forward to. And we'll put all the links in the show notes. And so happy to have you on the show. So happy to have you as a, a new connection in my own life and really look forward to reading your new book. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.